You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Father, we honor you. I thank you so much that we can worship and to know Jesus and to know you. Lord, what a privilege it is this morning to be able to just to sing these songs of truth out of our heart. Father, what incredible love that Jesus died for us. Lord, I pray that, uh, that this morning as we open your word, that the, those realities and those truths would refresh in us and encourage us. Father, give us hope, comfort, and joy. Lord, help us today to draw near to you, to be close to you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Have a hope you are doing well this morning, and it's so good to see you guys, and uh, grateful, grateful to worship our God together. I was uh, 13 years old when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of my life. As a 13-year-old kid, I was a pretty good kid. I think I was pretty good, right? Wouldn't you say I was a good kid at 13 years old? None of you knew me I was 13, so like I can get away with that. My mom and dad might have other opinions. I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but uh, pretty good kid. And I just remember God beginning to convict my heart that, that I was a sinner. Even though I was a pretty good kid, I had done things that were wrong, and I began to feel the the, the burden of that, the, the, the weight and the guilt of that. And I, I knew the story. I knew what would happen if you really didn't know Jesus, that ultimately if you die with, with that sin on your account, with that guilt, then, then you were guilty and you didn't get to go to heaven when you died. And, and I remember just, just the, the weight of that, the motivation to say, God, I want Jesus to save me. I know he died on the cross for my sins. And I want Him to be in charge of my life. I want Him to be my Savior, to be my Lord. And the, the big motivation, I just, just the, the truth and the honesty of it was I just didn't want to be guilty. I didn't want to have that responsibility. I was grateful for a God who, who died for me, who Jesus died on my behalf. But fast forward almost 40 years from now, I am still grateful for that. I'm still grateful that I have a hope of heaven. I'm, I'm grateful that when I pass, and I presume my family will mourn when I pass. I hope you do. I hope you love me enough to mourn. But I, I hope at that, even when that happens, I'm grateful that they can have a, a hope and a joy of knowing where I am, that they can see me again, that it's different. But I will say that 40 years later, that I value something much more now that I didn't understand when I was 13, that, that, that I get the chance that every single day when I wake up to live that day with God. As a 13-year-old boy, I really wasn't dreaming a whole lot about that, to be honest with you. I, it's tough for me to look back and reflect besides playing with Hot Wheels cars or whatever was going on in the day. You know, video games are just beginning to come out, you know, that kind of world. Uh, I wasn't sitting there thinking kind of in the abstract, like, wow, I can have this incredible relationship with God day by day by day. I mean, I knew that, but I just wasn't thinking about that. You know, to me, relationships weren't something you focused on. They were just something that you did and kind of experienced, you know, and, and it just went on in life. But today, 40 years later, I'm astounded that you and I, when we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, when we are saved from our sin because of what Jesus did on the cross, that not only does He just give us a hope for forever in heaven, 
But he gives us a relationship with him here in the now, day in and day out. That's what Psalm 84 this morning that we're going to open is all about. It's about the blessings that you and I have of a life with God. It's not just a, a life that we're forgiven of sin, just forgiven for the, the wrongs that we've done, the mistakes we've made, all of those things in between. But it's a life that we get to live with God in heaven. And I want to share with you three blessings that we get, that we get to experience with that. So read with me just a few verses here in Psalm 84. The Bible says this, How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely is your house, he's saying. How lovely is where you are, O Lord of hosts. Lord of armies is what hosts means. You're the, the God of all armies, of the hosts of heaven, of, of all that there is. He goes on and he says this. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. He's telling us, he says, guys, he says, I am so desiring to be with God that it, it, I'm, I'm so famished spiritually that I want to be with God and I'm not there yet, that I hunger. You ever been so hungry you feel like you can't go for, on, you know, just, I don't know if you hypoglycemic or low blood sugar, but you know, if you just get to where you're like, oh, I just need to eat, I'm so hungry, I could eat anything. That he's telling us, he says, that's the way I desire to be with God, to be with a living God, not just some abstract religion that I come and do a religious duty on a Sunday morning, but I want to I be with God and I want my house to be with God's house. He goes on and says in verse 3, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for her young, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my king. He's picturing it. He's picturing at the temple back when and the, the, the big building and, and going to worship God. And it's like even the sparrows get to hang out and make their home with you, God. And then he says this four, three times this word's used in this psalm Blessed, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. First thing I want us to notice in this first blessing that, that God brings to our attention this morning is that, that we're blessed to, to live with God, to be living with the God of heaven. You see, to give you kind of the backstory of this to help you, worship was a little bit different back then in the Old Testament than it is today. It's normal for us. We know that, that we can today, we can... We can worship God anywhere we are. We can open our Bible. We can pray we, because God is everywhere that we can do that at home. We can do it in the cars or driving to work or in school, wherever. And, and in that day, people prayed and worshiped God certainly every day as well, but they didn't have the, uh, the opportunity maybe quite the same way or at least perceive the same way as we did today. They would, they would go to the temple three times a year. There was basically one church, if you will, all right, for the whole country. Can you imagine being like, okay, kids, we're going to go to church today. And, you know, it's a, what is it, eight hours to go to D.C., something like that. You know, you're driving and the kids are like, well, can we stop? We get breakfast, you know, because <laughs> like, it's going to be a long way, mom and dad. You know, there's a reason they only did it three times a year. And, and God is everywhere the Bible teaches us. But God revealed his special 
presence, if you will, in the temple. So when you really wanted to meet with God, you would go there. When you really wanted to pray, you went there. And three times a year, God told the people, hey, everybody come from the country, countryside, doesn't matter how far away you live, you come and make your way and worship God there. And that's what this writer is talking about. He's like, I want to be there. I want to I live there. I want to stay there in the presence of God. I want to be there where God is. I don't want to make my life somewhere else. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm longing. I'm fainting to be with God. I find it so amazing that when he starts out, the first verse of this is just, how lovely is your dwelling place? And then he doesn't tell us he doesn't describe to us just how lovely it is. He just goes, oh, wow. And then he goes on. You know, he's not unpacking for us the picture of just how awesome and amazing and glorious the God of heaven is. To be honest with you, I'll just kind of between lines. Sometimes I preach sermons, and it's just to me, it's so simple and clear, the truths, and it's just very easy to do. And other times I'm like, God, I... I'm just, I'm clueless. Like, I should just be sitting down. You know, I've got nothing I can say and add to that. And when we come to the glory of God, it's one of those topics. How do you begin to describe that which is indescribable? How do you describe something in which in this universe nothing compares? And the writer here doesn't even try to. That's why it goes beyond it. Think, think about it this way. If you were riding across the Atlantic Ocean on a ship, you know, I don't know if you're taking a cruise or whatever going out, and you just kind of slipped off the deck and fell into the ocean, and nobody noticed, besides knowing immediately that you've got real problems, like this is not a good day, this is a bad day. Think about, you know, just your little head above water, knowing that miles below you is just water and more water and more water. And you are hundreds and hundreds of miles from any shore. You would, besides the fear and like, what are we going to do now and all of that, you would just be overwhelmed by the minuscule nature of your little head riding in the waves, not even hardly being able to see above. You couldn't even fathom that. You can't grasp that. You know, I, I intentionally didn't look up on the internet, you know, well, how many gallons of water are in the Atlantic Ocean? How many miles and all that? Because let's be honest, you and I cannot get our head wrapped around trillions of gallons. Like, it's just a number. It, it just, it's unbelievable. For you, it may as well be just, you know, uh, uh, 5,000 gallons just around you. It's just overwhelming. And that's kind of what this person's talking about, is that God, to be with you, is overwhelming the loveliness, the beauty, the amazing awesomeness is overwhelming to be in your presence. And what he tells us is, he says, God, that's what I want. That's what my heart craves. What he's describing is not craving that instant, that, that beginning of our relationship with God of salvation. He's craving to live his life day in and day out. To be in the very presence of God. Not just to be glad that he's on his way to heaven, that he's a follower of, of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of God, but to be in the presence of God in close proximity, experiencing, seeing, and being with God himself. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, there should be a hunger in our soul 
that grows more and more the older we get. That we more and more are only satisfied when we live with God. Now, Sean, don't you know that God's everywhere? I do. I, of course. But what I'm talking about is not you and I physically being in the presence of God. You can't ever be out of the presence of God. What I'm talking is about you and I consciously being in the presence of God. You ever sit and watch TV or a movie at home, and you're so dialed into the movie that you're oblivious to the other people in the room? Let's be honest. Have you ever looked at your phone, and somebody's sitting there talking to you, and you didn't hear them at all? The problem is you didn't hear them, so you didn't know they were talking to you. But then they finally like get in your face and they're like, would you just talk to me? Or they send you a text, you know, kind of like hijack the phone and it like pops up on the screen, you know, <laughs> they call you. That, it is easy for you and I to live that way with God, to be so focused in our day-to-day -day things that even if we're in the presence of God, which we are, the presence of other people, and they're busy trying to get our attention, we can ignore that. And this, what we're being challenged this morning is, is to step back and to, in our hearts to realize that there should be a hunger in our soul that wants to be with God today, that wants to live with Him, that wants to experience Him, that wants to hear His voice, that wants to hear what He has to say to us, that wants to see Him in His majesty, to be wowed. If you drive to the Grand Canyon, see the Grand Canyon, you want to step your toes as close as you can to the edge. Don't get too close. Don't do like so many people are today, taking selfies, and they literally are backing off and falling and dying. It really is a thing. It's just kind of ridiculous. But, you know, you want to get close to it. You want to be, wow. You want to be wowed. We should have that desire in our heart to be wowed by the God of heaven every single day of our life rather than just getting up in the morning and, okay, i got to go to work, i got to do this, i got to fix the car, i got to clean the kitchen, i got to mow the lawn, got to go to the store. But to have this desire to be with God in heaven, what I'm amazed at that is, is when you and I make that our, our goal and we're overwhelmed is with the presence of God, is that what it does is it creates such a, a joy in our soul. He says this, he says, my heart, on the, that's the stuff on the inside, and my flesh, that's his body. My body even sings for joy. The extroverts in the room, when you sing, you kind of probably you know, do a little whatever, and the introverts are like, yeah, I'm going to sit here. I'm singing on the inside. Neither way is good. But what he's saying is like, guys, I have such a heart for God. I'm singing on the inside, and my body's doing a little singing and moving on the outside that I, I crave to be in the presence of God. There's such a joy in his soul. The world is trying to package up joy. It's trying to sell us that joy and that peace in all kinds of ways and shapes. Most commercials, if you step back and think about the commercials you see, most commercials are just trying to sell you joy and peace, really are. But what he's telling us is, is that the real joy in our soul comes when God is the one that we want to be with. And I'm astounded that this is available to all of us. He steps back and the picture is, he looks and he's thinking, I know what that temple is like to be in the presence of God. And I've seen even the little bird.
birds in the corner, the little sparrows that nobody knows what they are, and they all look the same, the little brown thing. No, not pretty red ones or pretty blue ones or pretty yellow ones or whatever, but just a sparrow, just the smallest and in, most inconsequential of all birds, a dime a dozen. And they're even able to live and make their life in the presence of God. You see, what that means is, is that you and I, we don't have to be of nobility. We don't have to be of anybody famous. No, we don't have to be a VIP. But the God of heaven invites us to live with him in his house. To live with him. See, it's a strange thing in the Old Testament. The temple was made for people. God made that one place so people could come and know that he's real and meet with God. The New Testament, we discover that God made people for the temple. That God says, I'm making you as my people. You are my temple because I want to make my life with you and I want to, to live with you. Colossians 1 describes that as a, a mystery. The mystery of, of, of God, that God, the God of heaven becomes Christ in us. When we surrender our life to Jesus and He comes and He lives within us, and He's called Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we get to experience inside our soul the hope and the joy and all of that for all of eternity, that we become the temple of God. It's not he's, God's not somewhere else in Washington, D.C., or wherever we have to travel to go be with Him, but He makes our home with us. And at 24-7, we get to live with God what incredible joy and a blessing that is in our life. My hunch is, is that if you've known Jesus for very long, if you've surrendered your life to Him and finally kind of come to that place where you, it finally makes sense to you and you receive Christ as Lord, that you probably are experiencing that as well. I think the younger you are when you trust Christ, the more you, know, you, you were saved and you know Jesus, but you're still not an adult yet. You just, your brain and everything, you don't kind of understand life much, but the more you live, the more that what becomes important to you is the God who lives in you. Not the stuff around you, but that the God of heaven has chosen to make his life with you. That's the first blessing that we get, that we get to live with the God of heaven. Notice the second blessing this morning, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. There's that word again, blessed whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, I'll explain that in a second, they make it a place of springs, of water. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The momentum gets built in their life. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God and Zion. Get the picture. If you live hundreds of miles away from the temple, and your dad... And you got to get your kids, doesn't matter how little they are, how young they are, how old they are, it's quite a road trip when you've got to set out and not in your nice little you know, uh, uh, SUV or your crossover or whatever you've got. You, know, you can't put the little car top carry on and pack all the supplies and all that. When you have to walk, okay, let's go. And you just start walking. You know. How many of you would want to walk to Vermont from here? I wouldn't. What is it? is it, 60 miles to the border from here? I mean, that's it's not that far in the grand scheme of things, but I don't want to walk that today. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Can you imagine that? Along the way, you're like, i got to walk up that hill? Like, seriously? 
bad. What are you doing to me? You're killing me. And along the way, the hot sun, the rain or the no rain and all of that. The Bible says that you and I are blessed as we live our life in this life journey seeking God and to make our life with Him. And along that way, it's going to get hard. That's what this Valley of Baca is all about. They go through this Valley of Baca. It means that it's not a place, it's not a location, it's a tree. It's, it's like a, a, a balsam tree. The word means weeping, dripping, if you will. Uh, like Think of it like tears. If you've ever walked through the pine bush, you may or may not have noticed, but most of the pine trees that you see, the tall ones, are, are there's a particular kind of pine tree. They're a pitch pine. All pine has a lot of pitch and sap, but these have a lot of it. And if you look closely at them, you'll just see where it just it's running down the trunks, and it just it's like the tree is weeping. If you live anywhere near the pine bush, some of you live in the pine bush. It's just not declared pine bush. Like it, 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 it really is the pine bush. Like you've got nothing but trees. You know the sap just drips out of the trees and gets on your car and it gets on your, you know, your patio table and furniture and your, all of that, right? And it's that whole weeping. The picture is this: is that you and I go through places, and instead of the trees weeping, we're the ones weeping. We're going through those hard times. We're going through those difficult times. We're going through those seasons as we're trying to worship God, as we're trying to live our life with God. It gets hard. We're on a journey. We're like, God, I'm trying to worship you. I'm trying to do what you tell us to do. I'm walking, but God, this is, this is a hard spot. And in that process, he tells us that, that we make it a place of springs and that God even begins to bring the rain. Picture a dry, arid environment you hit the you and I hit the deserts in life that our tongues are hanging out and we're we're dry in many ways and we're we're be tempted to say but God I'm doing this for you I'm trying to worship you I'm trying to honor you but God this is not working well in life right now for me this is kind of getting hard sometimes when those seasons hit we're wondering like God why did you allow this and we've got all those questions running through our brain and what these passages is telling us and what he's challenging us is, is life with God is wonderful. And as we live that life with God, we still go through hard places. We still go through desert places. We still go through places where you and I weep. And we're the ones crying, feeling the pain of that. But when we hit those times, that God is our strength. That He's the one that makes us strong. He's the one that helps us through those seasons. He's the one that helps us to continue to follow and to worship Him even when the going gets tough. And what happens is when God is our strength, that we then build upon that. We go from strength to strength to strength. There's a momentum that builds within our life as we pursue God and seek Him first in our life day after day after day. Even when things aren't well, even when we're dealing with some awful things and terrible things, even when we lose a loved one, someone that we care deeply about, and we go through some hard times that we still are pursuing a life with God. And that life with God blesses us and ultimately creates a joy even in the middle of hardship, but it gives us the strength to endure. Gives us the strength to not 
throw in the towel, to give up or to give in. And ultimately what happens, according to verse 7, is each one of us, when God becomes our strength, each one of us still makes it and we appear before the God in Zion. You know what that's telling us? It's telling us this. That when you and I go through those difficult times, we're happy just to survive. We want normalcy. We want things to be fixed. Or maybe we go through those pains. Sometimes we don't have what we want. Sometimes it's really big. Sometimes it's smaller. And it's just a chronic thing that we just we want. We feel the burden and the pain of that in our life that God, for whatever reason, doesn't allow us to have. But even in the middle of all of that, the real goal is not surviving. It's not having our goals met. But the real goal is we will always be able to worship and to know God and to live intimately with Him in the middle of that world. See, you and I will never be in a place where no matter how things difficult things get and how challenging they are, that God doesn't help us to still be at that place where we value and we know Him above all. And we experience His presence, His joy, and His work in our life. That's what He's all about. Look at the last few verses with me and I'll be done. In verse 10, the Bible says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, here's that word, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You see, verse 10, he tells us, he said, he's still fixated. God, I just want to be with you. That's what my goal is in life. He was a normal person. He had concerns about his mortgage. He had concerns about his job, headaches at work, problems with his family, all of those things, questions about his own health, all of the things that get us in life. And he's like, but God, I just really want to be with you. I would rather spend one day with you than I would a thousand anywhere else doing life my own way, living in unrighteousness. I would rather just, God, it's worth it. In fact, God, I would rather just be your doorkeeper. The guy who's standing there opening the door but kind of just gets a little glimpse of you. I'd rather just have a, a hint of your presence in my life than not have anything than to, than to live and have a live it up and live large in the the world around me. God, I, I want you in my life. And as a part of that, it's not only when we seek God above all do we actually get there and get to have our life with God every day, but we have strength and a confidence in our life day in and day out. And the third thing is, is that we, we live our life trusting God. When you live your life and God's your focus day in and day out, that no matter what's coming along, is you're trusting God in everything. He explains why part of the reason why God is such a blessing, because in verse 11, that the Lord God Himself is a sun and a shield. 
When you're traveling in a caravan, it was natural for those families that three times a year they would have to travel miles and miles. It would be natural. You would, you would get together with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and you'd, you'd make an event of it. And you'd make sure you, know, you had all the supplies and traveling along the road. You didn't go alone because it was dangerous. And it's a whole lot more fun, fun to go with people. But think about it. You know, you become acutely aware of the weather when you're not in a car. You become acutely aware of the weather when you're having to walk everywhere you're going. You're like, God is the sunshine to us. And he's that, the light for us. And he's a shield to protect us along the way. They knew what that was like to, to live in that presence of God in their life. And as this man looks back, he says, God, I just want to be with you because I know that I'm with you, that I'm protected and I get to experience the, the sunniness, if you will, of, of life around me. And he goes on, he says, the, and the Lord is the one who bestows favor and honor. God, I want to be with you. And I, I want to worship and praise you for all of who you are. But Lord, I know that you give honor and favor to everyone who lives this life with you. In fact, God, I know that no good thing, in verse 11 he says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Folks, when you and I make our life with God, when we know Jesus is Lord of our life, but then we also for the, every day seek Him, the Bible says God doesn't withhold anything that would be good for us. Not one thing. Now that's a challenge for you and for me to be satisfied with what God provides, right? How often are we unsatisfied? How often are we kind of grumble to ourselves, well, why doesn't God love me a little bit more? Because I sure would like that. No, God's not. God, if it's good and good for me, He gives it to me. And it allows you and me to go through life without questioning and doubting and ungrateful and unthankful about how our lives are turning out. It helps us with those things. But then we also realize is that, that God really is blessing me even now in my life. Sometimes it's easy to get into a bit of a funk in our, our lives, how we live. Sometimes we, you know, things aren't going the way we want it for a while and, and you just, a funk is probably the best word I know. It's a good theological word, right? It just means like you're not happy and it's not good, right? It's a funk. And what happens is, is the reason we're in a funk is because we're focused on what we don't like, and we're missing all that God has done. And we become ungrateful. We've lost perspective of reality. And instead, what this writer is doing is like, God, I'm making my life with you. And as I make my life with you, when I look at my life, all that I ever see is that you give me kindness and an incredible favor and honor. And you've given me everything that's good in every way in my life. That starts with the forgiveness of sin with Jesus. That's why it kind of begins there. That's the first thing that God wants to give a person. God is a God of gifts. And He wants to give us multiple gifts all of our life. Himself being the most important one. But that first gift 
always starts gift, not G-I-F, G-I-F-T. Realize, you know, you got to pronounce things, and the new, when new words get created, I'm not thinking like you guys know what gifts are, right? If you know what, it, this is a test, if you know what a gift, like a G-I-F is, raise your hand, please. All right, I will not ask you if you don't. Okay, there's some of you that aren't too sure. You can go back and Google it, all right? There's an age thing in here, so go back and look it up. But God, God might give us some gift, GIFs, but he really gives us GIFTs. And the first one he wants to give us is his own son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. But then he wants to provide all through our life. And he holds nothing back for us that we need. It even ends up practically. I'll give you an example. I've, it's been a while since I've talked about my house, so I'm probably due for a house illustration, as you guys know. <laughs> I haven't talked about fishing in a while either, so I'm trying to, you know, like Sean has a, just a very limited scope here of life of how he lives. You know, we love him, but we're not sure about that. But when Susan and I moved into our, our, our home, I, I took a ministry position here in the Capital Region almost 20 years ago. I had eight kids living at home at the time. Thankfully, they grow up and they leave. They get jobs. It's a beautiful thing how that works. And uh, yes, and uh, thankfully, they we love them and they love us and they come back and visit. But when you have a big family like that, it's not easy to find housing. It just there's just there's a lot of small houses, and I, I just there are. In 2004 was where we moved here was much like this time. Uh, what's going on in the market is that people were getting into bidding wars. People were getting more than what they were asking for in their houses. And if you were in real estate back then, you know what I'm talking about. It was insane. It was just crazy. We could not find anything we could afford. It was our first house. Long story short, along the way, a person ended up selling us their house, ended up giving the ministry that I was serving and, and leading, ended up giving them $100,000 so we could buy their house. In essence, he dropped the price of his house $100,000. Like, who does that? That's insane. I looked for months and months, for six months in a 12-county area and could not find a place to live, to move with my family. I mean, it was to the degree I was like, God, this is either the dumbest job shift I made or whatever. And God just did that because God does what he does. He doesn't withhold any good thing. And then fast forward, it was a big enough house and an old enough house that I was in over my head more than I knew when I bought the thing. I was like, oh my goodness, this place needs a lot of work. And I, like four years later, Christmas Day, I'm out digging up my septic tank because my toilets wouldn't flush. And I'm thinking, you don't if my septic tank isn't working in my leach field, you don't fix those in January. You know, I'm like, how, what am I going to do? Rent a motel with my family, you know, eight for the next six months? How do I survive? And thankfully, our neighbor down the road, who was a, a, a kind neighbor, a good, uh, a godly man, actually helped us figure it out. We kind of got it by, fixed it good enough, and then he helped me replace the whole leach field next year. All I had to do is just pay for the materials. Like, he knew how to do that, and we rented the thing. And I'm just like, God, I don't know how. I didn't have the money to replace all of that. God doesn't fail to give us what we need. He, he holds no good thing back from us, even when we don't realize it. Even when we're in the middle of it, God just says, yeah, you're in over your head, Sean. You have no hope in making this way in this world, but I'm going to take care of you. I've got you, I've got your family, I've got your kids. So he does that with physical needs. He does it with spiritual needs in our life. He does it with our the emotional things, the stuff on the inside that we wrestle with, the things that have happened in our past that we try to move beyond. That God withholds nothing that's good. 
that would help us, that would bless us in our life. Now, sometimes that's a challenge. I don't want to underestimate that because we really don't like the things that have happened to us. I would rather not dug up my bleach field or whatever on Christmas Day. But God said, Sean, it's, it's not a bad thing for you to do. You don't need to live a perfect, cushy, little, you know, pampered life. And he doesn't want you to live that either. He allows us to go through adversity. But along the way, he meets us with the good things. He blesses us in so many ways. What God is challenging us this morning with Psalm 84 is for you and I, when we know Jesus is Lord of our life and we're forgiven of our sins, is to live every day as an adventure with God. That God, today I'm living with you. And my big goal today is not what I'm going to put on the barbecue tonight for dinner or what project I'm going to get done or what thing I'm going to do and have fun today. But God, I want to be with you in the middle of doing all of that. I want to live my life with you. And that's my big goal today. When we do that, the Bible says we go from strength to strength to strength, meeting all of the challenges and dealing with all the difficult things in life. There's an overwhelming joy that just springs up out of our soul. And we trust God for all that we need in our life, that we're blessed when we just trust Him, the God of hosts, that He blesses us. Last little thing and I'm done. But notice that that blessing, there is a small but significant condition to it. It says that no good thing, in verse 11, does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I almost forgot, missed that. It's conditional. That God blesses you and takes care of you and gives you that when you live for Him, when you're living a life that's upright, that's godly, that's not living for self, that's living for sin. Sean, does that mean we earn those blessings of God? No. This is not work. This is not you putting in your time so you get a paycheck. This is you loving God and honoring Him with your life and God, and you having a relationship with Him, that because of that, He's able to do what He already wants to do, which is to bless you and to care for you and provide for you. But you must walk godly before Him. It's not just That's not a promise for everybody. It's a promise for those who put God first, to live God's ways, to live for God in God's ways. And He wants us to be amazed to love that and to have that to be our heart. So folks, as I wrap up and our worship team makes their way up here, where are you this morning? Is God truly the one that you're seeking? Or are you putting something else in front of God today in your heart? That's a, that's a question that we all need to regularly ask ourselves, me included. Like, what really am I valuing today? What really brings me joy? What really is my focus? What really am I satisfied for? What am I stretching for? What am I trying to make happen? Is it for you and I to be in the presence of God? To live daily, communing with Him? Or is it something else? Next question, is God really your strength? Are you trying to walk forward through those dry lands and those difficulties in life and your own abilities and strengths? Or is God really your strength?
And then the last question is, is what's in your life today that you really need to be trusting God for? Simply just trusting Him. The nature of trust, we kind of don't like. We don't like to trust as people because it puts us at risk. We feel vulnerable. The nature of trust is saying, God, even though my five senses tell me there is a problem, my spiritual heart says everything's okay and you need to trust God. Where do you need to trust Him in your life today? Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank You the Lord Jesus saves us and died for us. And I thank You that we get to make every day truly with You. Lord, that's not meant to be something that's just abstract or religious speak. But Father, that's meant to be something, You're to be one that we know, that we talk to, that we hear from. And that we live with You in our heart and our life. And Lord, I, I'm grateful that we don't have to go to a temple three, just three times a year to be in Your presence. But Father, we're there now. I thank You that Jesus lives inside of us. And I thank You that He changes our life so much that we can live this way. But Father, help us to not take those truths for granted. Help us to not just be living our life like we're sitting on the phone, looking at the computer, scrolling through whatever we're looking at, watching whatever video we're watching, and just ignoring You. Father, I pray that you would help us to step back, to be in awe of you and your glory, to swim around in the amazing waters of your vastness, to experience your forgiveness and your grace and your love and your provision and your strength in our life. Lord, may every fiber of our being look back and see, wow, what an amazing God you really are because of all that you are and all that you've done in our world. Lord, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure how God has spoken to your heart this morning. I hope and pray that He has taken something here that has, but would you respond to Him today? Maybe it's tomorrow you need to wake up a little more focused. Sometimes when I get up in the morning, I'm not feeling it. But what I've discovered is it's not God, it's me. And I say, God, I've been distracted lately again. And God is so gracious to let me read His Word and to rather than just reading blank words, that those somehow begin to sink and settle in my soul. And that's what God wants us to have regularly in our life. But whatever God has spoken to you, respond to Him and make that commitment to Him. Won't you stand?